The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. So today I spoke with composer and podcast host, Adam Kanaw. And I've spoken with Adam a few times now, both uh, offline um, and on his wonderful podcast, the Making Noise podcast, which is available anywhere you get your podcasts. And Adam's interesting. Uh, Adam is very similar. Um, He currently lives in the Midwest. Uh, He was a composition student like myself uh, at Bowling Green. Uh, We even had the same teacher in grad school. So we we agree on a lot of things. Uh, There's some things we disagree on. um, But we often have kind of the same conversation um, because I think we have some of the same things that sort of uh, affect us or bother us. And one thing that we, we always come back to talking about is the starving artist and that whole concept of does being poor suck? Um, and, and just relating to the whole monetary situation and composing or choosing a life in the arts versus needing to, you know, pay the electric bill. Adam had an interesting perspective on opportunities. Later in today's episode, you'll hear him talk a little bit about how he positions himself for these opportunities. And if he's not positioning himself to get these opportunities, then he's he's probably not going to get them, um, which seems pretty straightforward and maybe not too profound. But I think it puts a lot of responsibility on him. And we talked about that and we talked about then how that can affect the creative psyche and how, you know, you can get into that negative thinking of, well, is what I'm doing not good um, because it's not being selected? Is that the reason it's not being selected? Regardless of all the other bureaucratic and other political reasons why your music might not be getting chosen or you're not being chosen for these opportunities, but then even we talked a little bit about how sometimes you you are chosen, you're one of the chosen, but uh, you're not making much money as a result of it. And so he really emphasized to music students the just the need and the requirement to really hustle to create these opportunities. But I argued uh, a little bit and 
and you'll hear his response to it. I wondered how intimately money is linked to a creative person's success. And not just, you know, being successful and then making money and paying rent and and buying groceries as a result of your success, but even just needing money to become successful. I think about the recording projects and the albums that I've put out. Those have all required some money, whether it's for recording, mixing, mastering, or whether for it's just printing copies of the scores to give to musicians to perform. However small or however large the expense is, there always is an inherent cost in making art. So if you're not making any money as a result of your art, or very little, or not enough to sustain yourself, then how are you going to invest that money into creating that art in the first place? Adam and I talk about this as well as we explore uh, his wonderful piece, Haumea, uh, for saxophone quartet. Uh, as well as explore his uh, compositional process. So without further ado, let's listen to a little bit of Haumea and learn more about composer Adam Kanal. As a collaborative composer, Adam Kana believes honest and powerful music is created through open communication between performer and composer. Adam has worked with many exceptional ensembles and performers over the years, including Boston-based departure duo, saxophone and trombone duo Wind Collision, Ensemble Interface, Segatem Saxophone Quartet, and the NA Ensemble. His recent performances include New Music Gathering, Neef North Summer Festival, Valencia International Performance Academy at Music in Valencia, Spain, and an upcoming performance at Festival Contrasti in Trento, Italy. Currently, Adam lives in Chicago, Illinois, with his girlfriend, oboist Ava Wirth. On today's episode, we listen to the Bowling Green Graduate Saxophone Quartet performing Haumea. really like to test things out with a performer and so like mm-hmm. especially since the pandemic like using zoom has been a great tool 
Yeah. And um, so what I might do is I might sketch some little, little measure long ideas or something like that. Or, right. um, and then on the call, I'll, they'll have a PDF of that sketch. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I just have them test it out. I record the call um, or I'll just throw things that throw things out at them. Like, Hey, what if you did this? But as you reach that higher note, you start to introduce more air into the sound. And then, and then you just do a sudden, like, I don't know, grunt or whatever, you know, sure. Yeah. Um, just to see what that might be like. Yeah. And that's, that's usually how I operate. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's really like, um, you know, I, I rely a lot on the interaction and, and involvement of the performer. So do you find yourself having them sort of workshop things for you and maybe like record it and then kind of send it to you, like maybe even crudely on the phone or something like that and send it to you? Does that then help you decide what things might work, what might not? Absolutely. Yeah, especially with a lot of the, the music that I write, there's a lot of sounds. It's just like sound-based techniques, you know, like extended techniques right. and whatnot. And right. so I have a great idea of what it sounds like, but I actually don't know what it looks like or in practice, you know? Right. Um, I'm not a saxophonist. So, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, and not only that, like each performer has certain limitations or, um, you know, abilities that they have, that they can, you know, use. And so I like to try to search for those uh capabilities that they have and and then use that as source material um because it's 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 you know i can sit there and write this whole thing out and put all these air sounds and stuff and even like specify the air sounds like a really dark ah sound or a really bright ooh or something but then is that going to translate through the horn of the instrument and with traditional software and traditional software that will play back, you, that you can enter notes and then play back, um, it usually can, with some degree of accuracy, play back pitches and rhythms. But a vocal fry, I, I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot of, like, I don't think Finale does vocal fry. I, I don't want to get in trouble. But so, uh, you know, so then it kind of begets to not use extended technique if you want to be able to, to audition it. Yeah, totally. That's, that's one of the things that, um, as you know, a few years ago, I started realizing like, I, I have to do everything by hand from the beginning because it, it becomes too much of an effort to try to notate it. I use Sibelius to try to notate it to Sibelius because then I have to try to find some sort of symbol to use to represent vocal fry. And then, uh, and then it's just like, so anyways, it's easier for me to do all of that. You doing it by hand pen and paper pencil and paper <laughs> never pen i was like that's pretty you <laughs> that's pretty gutsy here you just, uh, yeah i use pen and paper i do crosswords with a pen as well um my confidence is so high that i that i'm, I'm sure that that's going to work <laughs> so so you're workshopping with the artist you're working with the artist and uh at some point they 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 probably receive some type of final score so then when is the um when is the piece done is it done when you hand the artist that score is it after the first performance when is the piece done so to give a literal example one of the most recent pieces i wrote that was just performed it was just premiered in uh july i think um me and that ensemble we're still editing the piece yeah um but Throughout the composing process, when I'm working with an ensemble, I essentially send them like three drafts throughout the whole period 
of the piece. And as the as the project timeline continues, like those drafts continue to change. So then by the time that they finally premiere the piece, it's like they're already learned it. So then they get the the, the final version, um, right. or at least that the performance version, you know, for sure. the premiere. Yeah. Um, then they have it, but often I continue working on the piece because um, I haven't yet had a chance to hear it from beginning to end. Absolutely. And so that premiere performance sometimes or more often than not is, uh, is the first full hearing, you know? And so then I get to get a sense of the proportions, like uh, that opening didn't last long enough. It should have gone on for longer or, um, you know, this multiphonic comes in and it's a little bit too harsh for the delicate ambiance that's happening in that moment, you know? Um, so my goal is to have the final version for them when they premiere it, but that rarely is the case. <laughs> actually interesting because it's a piece I wrote that it didn't involve my regular process that I use where I mm -hmm. meet with the performers I work with them a lot you know right. um so when I was a grad student at Bowling Green State University mm -hmm. my buddy Christopher Murphy who's a fantastic mm -hmm. saxophonist he was a doctoral student at the time right and he was coaching an undergrad sax quartet and it was their first year mm -hmm. and so they were looking for something they wanted a piece of music that used more extended techniques in it and introduced, you know, contemporary playing mm -hmm. that was beyond some of the more like gimmicky or simple pieces. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so my task was to try to write a piece that did a little bit more than that. Um, if, if one looks at the score and sees what is involved, it's like, all right, this isn't really for an undergrad quartet. It's a little bit beyond that. <laughs> um, or maybe it's just what they need. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just, just what they, they need. need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what ended up happening was uh, Chris then handed the piece off to the graduate saxophone quartet. And impressively, they learned it in two weeks. And I say that's so impressive because the piece is designed where the four performers are standing at the four corners of the audience because the piece is supposed to, you know, create a surround sound effect. And so uh, not only did they have to learn their parts, they had to get 
comfortable enough with cues and alignment standing like what 40 50 feet apart that was something i actually wanted to ask you about was um and clearly the answer is yes but was there some thought compositionally about how this would sit on a pair of speakers or to a listener because i i certainly heard a relationship between what was going on in the left and what was going on in the right oh absolutely yeah um like when I wrote the piece, I have, uh, I actually have this right here. I, I know this won't be hurt scene, but like I have this notebook and mm -hmm. all these tabs are all the different pieces I've worked on. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the notebook, I take down all kinds of notes, like just mm -hmm. ideas, thoughts, concepts about the pieces I'm writing. Mm -hmm. And for this piece, I wrote down a diagram of every potential direction the sound can travel. You know, so like if the you know, performers front, right, front, left, back, left, mm -hmm. back, right, mm -hmm. uh, to, to understand like the, the way the sound would travel is a surround sound and mm -hmm. also going from diagonally, like from front, right to back, left. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I don't, I don't even know how many iterations I drew, you know, there's like sure. <laughs> countless sure. patterns that you can do with that, that those four corners and stuff, but, right. um, yeah. seeing the performance live and if the recording is, uh, hand in that way that you you will hear the the sound travel behind you in front of you around yeah. you and that's interesting because it adds a whole other dimension to composing i mean it's not unheard of there's the idea of having the first violins on both left and right side of the stage in an orchestra so that you can kind of have this you know back and forth sort of conversation um but yeah, it's an interesting way to compose because now you're thinking not only just as an audience seeing it live, but then, you know, how that translates into the the various forms of media. Can you talk a little bit about the form and sort of these different sections and, you know, what your overall plan or process was was for creating those different sections? Yeah, this is this is actually one of those pieces where I would have liked to gone back and extended it a little bit or make it a little longer or something. But um, like all sections or the whole thing or the whole thing. Yeah, like okay. I um I would probably keep it the same three sections as it is. But uh, to answer right. your question, so the uh, when I first started writing the piece, I started writing down the acoustics of the saxophone, like like reading about right. it and right. what sort of partials speak and that sort of thing, and then. I sort of started realizing like, well, I'm, I'm looking into how the instrument works. What about the process of how the performer, how one learns the instrument? And then sure. that seemed a little bit more like a extra musical concept that would be a little bit more um, like moving for me to, yeah. to create the work. Yeah. So the piece is literally designed in the way where the opening is where the student is learning how to use the reeds, use the keys. Right. The second section with all the microtones, you know, offset, yeah. that's playing in tune, learning how to play, you know, yeah. uh, offset or whatever. Um, right. And then the last section is uh, loosely supposed to be like a larger ensemble put together by using the multiphonics and stuff like mm -hmm. layered notes. Right. Um, so it's more than just that single musician. So my thought behind it was a single person learning how to play an instrument. And then by the end of the piece, that's they're in the ensemble now. And uh, it's sort of connecting the opening section with the air sounds and stuff mm -hmm. um, and still using microtones and everything. So that's, that's essentially the form of the piece to explain it in like, you know, conceptual extra musical terms. 
And therefore, it would be inherently idiomatic because you're sort of doing it based on how one might learn the instrument. Yeah. And when when I was writing it, as I mentioned, I, I was writing it for the undergrad sax quartet. So the microtones I used, I I only gave each saxophonist a handful. And mm-hmm. not only that, I tried to use ones where the fingerings were very similar. Sure. And and then with the multiphonics, it was it was similar where I maybe give them two or three at most per player. Mm-hmm. And so they really just oscillate between their two multiphonics mm-hmm. when that section comes in. Yeah. So so even yeah, even like the technical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The literal playing of the the, the notes and everything, I, I tried to treat it in a way where it's approachable. think it's all about perspective if if the situation you find yourself in is one that you are unsatisfied and and anxiety riven, ridden and whatnot then a large portion of that is most likely due to your perspective on that situation you know because the way i understand it is that our perspective informs our feelings and sure there are of course many reasons as to why we could feel things and it could be um right. it could be a, a biological thing sure um, but so for me, the amount of opportunities I have as a composer mm-hmm. is more often than not dependent on uh, how I position myself to get opportunities. Right. You know, and so right. if I'm not trying to seek things out, then why, like, that is only going to make my chances of actually having an income less. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is where like that negative talk can come into play Absolutely. you know like you start to question yourself as an artist is my music not good because no one's selecting me um yeah and then the people like i get selected and stuff like that but i'm still not making enough money you right. know and so like many of us right we have mm-hmm. we have either a full-time job or a job where we get the majority of our income from in addition Absolutely. to what we make as as musicians on the side anyone who's a music major 
you really do have to put yourself, you really have to hustle, honestly. Like yeah. you have to put yourself in positions to have as many opportunities as possible, regardless of what those opportunities are. Part of the thing that I also think about this link to money is that, yeah, you know, we can make our own fortune, uh, you know, our own luck by, you know, like you said, like just applying, pursuing these opportunities, creating these opportunities. But I have a piece, right? So I can write the piece, I can commission to write the piece, but eventually then I need to have that piece recorded or I need to have it in some type of format to present it. And it needs to be in a presenting format so then I can get more gigs after that. And, you know, it's like one good performance and one good uh, piece of product like a, a recording or a video that could launch pad me into another opportunity by somebody else seeing me. So th that's kind of like sort of been my approach. But all those things I just described cost obviously time, um, but money. Mm. So I get bummed out and maybe you could talk a little bit about this, but I get bummed out by the idea that is my success linked to how much I invest in this financially? Uh, not directly. I mean, if you just start buying equipment and then, you know, and then that's that, and you try to do stuff, you know, like mm -hmm. recording the podcast, for example, you know, right. um, yeah. then that doesn't necessitate, that doesn't necessitate an income. Um, right. but you know, going back to what I said, like, it depends on what you do with that, right. you know? So like, like making a podcast, for example, right. I mean, it's, it's quite a bit of work. You have to schedule time to meet with people. You sure. find, find where your schedule works. You then mm -hmm. uh, try to formulate some things you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, you record, you meet with the person, then you have to go edit it. Then you have to upload it to your thing. Once you have a good version of it, you, mm -hmm. you try to promote it. You need to have a mm -hmm. logo. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so there's, there's a lot of moving parts to it that, that have to be met in order for it to actually be in a position to start earning something. But right. there's things that are like, that can be useful, like Patreon, right? Sure. Like when you, if you have enough of a following, it kind of doesn't matter if you have a cool logo, you know, like right. If, right. If, yeah. if they like yeah. what you're saying and what you're doing, then like, they'll potentially want to actually pay you for it. Right. And so then that's the whole, if you make good art, if you keep your head down and you make good art and you make something good, quote unquote, good people, if you build it, they'll come. I think this ties into what we talked about on my podcast, where we were talking about having a voice. And yeah. I remember you said that as long as uh, it was something like, I, when I hear a piece of music and if it sounds honest or, yeah. if, you know, yeah, then absolutely. I think that's where you'll start to generate uh, your, your people, your audience is right. because you're, you're doing something honest that someone, not everyone, but someone is going to, it's going to resonate with them. That's a huge point that, there's some people somewhere that will think what you're doing is honest. It will sound honest to them because mm -hmm. there will be just as many people who are like, that's not honest. That's not a, not a thing. Um, but to find those people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the tricky thing too, is finding them. And then, and then I guess keeping them in a way too. Yeah. But as long as you're being honest and, and they see that, then I guess it's, you know, then it's not going to be too hard then just keep being right. honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Adam, uh, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, it's always great talking to you. Before I let you go, um, where can we go to find out more about not only you, your music, but also your Making Noise podcast? 
my my website adamkanaugh.com a-d-a-m-k-e-n-n-a-u-g-h uh you'll find uh pretty much everything there i mean the, the podcast is on my website you can find some some of the music i've written uh recordings videos i have scores there um and on social media you can find me adam Con- at adamkanaugh.composer that's on instagram and on facebook um and feel free to you know friend me on facebook my personal account just adam Kanaw. um and if you want to send me an email i'd be happy to hear from you about anything if you liked what you know doug and i talked about um mm-hmm. my email is ak Kanaw. so a-k-k-e-n-n-a-u-g-h at gmail.com and and uh the podcast the making noise podcast uh that's primarily a video podcast so you can find that on youtube um, but it's also uh, doubled as an audio as well. So it's hosted on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, um, uh, Stitcher, uh, potentially others I can't remember off the top of my head right now. <laughs> Thanks to Adam Kanaw for his opinions and sharing his music and time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes on the podcast. And as always, like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process. <laughs>